You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Curtain up, theater people, and welcome to your program as your ticket. Now, we normally come to you from the Hell's Kitchen area of Midtown Manhattan, but today's show is coming to you from Chicago, as I am working on my new musical, We the People, a theatrical song cycle, co-written with my musical writing partner, Leo Schwartz. Now, my name is Sean Chandler, and I'll be your host. Your program is your ticket as a discussion of smaller theater works and the people and organizations that make it happen. As many of you know, your program is your ticket is a helpful system where your program is literally your ticket to get into the theater and smaller, more intimate productions. It's these works we like to highlight, and it's our goal on this show to feature as many of these productions as possible while still discussing the biggies. I love theater and see as much as I can wherever I go. During the travels, the production of my husband and my play, At the Flash, I've met many wonderful people from all over the world in the theater community, and it is my honor to bring them on as guests to the show. Tonight's guest is brilliantly and insanely talented theater director, Derek Van Barham. I'll be bringing Derek on in a few minutes, but first I'd like to take a moment or two to talk about something that even I have to work on. Yes, I have things I have to work on. And that's keeping an open mind about all theater works and also respecting everyone's choices as to their tastes. Especially important when taking in new theater works, something we focus on in this show. Now, these works are often in the early stages of development, and your participation as an audience member seeing the show in its infancy, if you will, is is helpful. Your reactions, your comments, your acceptance help move these new developing works towards a more solid and fleshed out place. Um, Now, with me as a writer, I actually feel like I need to be a good audience member, and it's dangerous for me as a writer to become too judgmental or jaded, as that can cut me off to experiencing different types of theater, different writers' voices, different creative stylings, and that puts me in danger of narrowing my mind. I have to have an open mind because if my mind starts closing off, then that's, that's, that's not good for me as a writer. Um, I, I think that as, as theater artists, it's our obligation to sort of reflect back society and and that includes all facets of society not just one particular city or one particular subject but all subjects and that's that's important um also it's important to respect other people's choices i think like desserts in a dessert case people have different tastes people go to the theater for different reasons to escape to be educated to see an example of a new style of theater or maybe a favorite actor lots of shows have popular actors from TV or movies, and they like to do theater as well. And they have a lot of fans. Now, there are many people who go to the theater because they like the theme of the show and don't really have high opinions or care about the artifice necessarily. They don't care about the quality of of what's up on stage. They just they just like like the theme. Like maybe they like the movie and there's a show based on the movie and they're gonna enjoy it. So that's that's perfectly fine of course. Let them, and don't judge them. I try not to as well. To me, it's important that we respect these points. Otherwise, I think we're in danger of narrowing our scope. Um, If we only attend the most critically acclaimed shows, we're only going to be seeing about 2 to 5% of theater out there. And by the way, that 2 to 5% of theater most likely started within the realm of what I've just said, early works that are in development and, and... part due to smaller, more open-minded, accepting audiences that were there during the development. So 
Um, so please, you know, try to accept as much theater as you possibly can. It's okay not to like something, but at least give things a try and respect other people's opinions. So am I perfect at this? No. But if you guys promise to try, I definitely promise to try because I actually do try. So anyways, there's that. Now I'd like to bring on our guest. So he's a, a, a great guy, and he's currently working on a, a project that I am co-writing. He's, he's super fabulous director, Derek Van Barham. Hi, Derek, and welcome to your program as your tech ed. Hey, Sean. Thanks for having me. Oh, thank you for being on the show. Um, now, I met Derek through Pride Films and Plays, mm-hmm. uh, which of which he is an artistic associate. Sorry, which you are an artistic associate. Um, and now, like, I think it was like, I met you like five years ago. Mm-hmm. And now you're directing this show, We the People, a theatrical song cycle that I'm co-written with my co-writing partner, Leo Schwartz, who also I met through Pride Films and Plays. So... Tell us a little bit about yourself and your creative theater passion. Oh, my goodness. Uh, I want to tell you everything. Uh, What do I do? I am currently uh, a director, a choreographer, a bit of a playwright. Uh, But above all, I think of myself as a uh, theater collaborator. Um, When I got started, I uh, was an actor. Uh, All of my education, formal at least, is, is in acting and uh, performance, um, and then I just started to realize that I think I express myself better when I'm not on stage. So uh, the past few years have been really good to me in terms of getting to uh, direct and choreograph and work with some really great Chicago people, and um, yeah, so that's kind, of, that's kind of what I do. Do you have a favorite of all those jobs, of all those hats? Uh, Yes, I think uh, I think I'm happiest when I'm kind of doing a little bit of all of them. Like I like I think uh, my 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 wheelhouse is somewhere in the middle. It's either um, directing something that is uh, I'm able to heighten the realism through movement, or uh, choreographing something that isn't capital D A N C E dance that's uh-huh. a little more movement storytelling. So yeah, somewhere somewhere in the middle I think is where I'm I'm really happy. Okay, so so you take all of those um, skills mm-hmm. and you try to apply as many as possible to whatever it is that you're directing. Yes. Usually. Yes. Okay. Um, now you said you were an actor. Do you enjoy mm-hmm. acting? I do. Uh, I still improvise a bit in Chicago because why not? One is in Chicago, one should improvise a bit. Um, I perform with a uh, LGBTQ team called Baby Wine at The Annoyance on Friday nights, and we curate sort of a, a variety hour of um, all sorts of queer talent in Chicago. So we have everyone from storytellers to uh, improvisers, sketch people, poets, essayists, drag performances like you name it we do it it's just like you show up and you know for like an hour and a half it's just going to be big loud queer and a lot of fun (laughs) (laughs) that sounds great now um i am i'm not a very good actor at all but i have taken a couple of acting classes and i do it for the sake of establishing empathy for the actor because when i'm writing i want to know what i'm what they're dealing with up there and Mm -hmm. what i'm expecting them to do and if it's possible, and I like to push them as much as I can, do you find that that uh, sort of measuring all of, or not measuring, um, combining all of those skills and, and really focusing on them and refreshing on them by, by going to, is it called Baby Wine? 
yes. and doing your uh, <laughs> improvisation. Do you find that that helps you in in directing actors? Yes, I think so. I th- I mean, I think one of my strengths, and this comes just from what I, what the the um, parts of the directing process that I take joy in, and also the feedback from actors and performers that I've directed. I think that one of my strengths is what you just said, that sort of empathy, that having been on stage before and sort of a recognition that while I have a process that works really well for me and a style and a technique, it may not be what works best for every actor in my production. So I think just having that recognition from the beginning that everyone works differently and there may be different ways to communicate to each of my actors is very important. So what, you know, a play with five people, there may be one actor that sort of a movement vocabulary is most helpful. There may be another actor who um, pop culture references are super helpful. You know, everybody has their own way into that. And I think it's sort of finding that middle ground of where actor and director meet to communicate whatever we're trying to get across to the audience. Now, how long does it usually take you within the rehearsal process to figure out sort of where everyone's mindset is to be able to direct them effectively? Yeah, uh, it's a little bit project dependent. And mm-hmm. if I've done my job well from the beginning, I think I've cast it well. And so, uh, for instance, if we're going into a show that's uh, still in development, I need actors who are okay improvising, who are okay devising, who are okay trying some odd things that may not stick, you know, who, are, who don't mind taking risks, having a little fun. Um, who are also okay memorizing three pages of dialogue that then the next rehearsal are gone. <laughs> right. <laughs> you know? yeah. uh, so I think um, when it's a developmental work like that, it's it's important to cast people who are just down to play in the room. I mean, that's I use the word play a lot. It's a big word in improv uh, and a big word in um, the processes that I lead is that we collaborate and we play. So mm-hmm. I mean, if, if I've got actors who can play, I'm usually able to be on the same page with them pretty quickly. Oh, cool. Yeah. Excellent. That's that's a very, very strong, smart technique. Good. <laughs> it really is, in, in my opinion. Now, take us all the way back to young Derek ah. when you first <laughs> f- fell in love with theater and sort of take us through that and, and to get to where you are now. Sure. Um, well, I don't know that I fell in love with theater proper until college uh, because oh. there weren't really many outlets for me uh, before that. So I grew up in South Mississippi. I'm born and raised a Southern, a southern gentleman who has eight years of acting, um, acting in, in college and grad school to get the dialect out of my mouth. But it can, it, it can come back quickly. Oh, wow. My, my Southern roots. Um, but... Uh, Primarily, like, I knew that I had an interest in art and pop culture and the humanities. What I was able to do uh, in high school were both uh, speech and debate, Mm -hmm. uh, which is sort of a more... performative version of theater, I guess. You know, it's it's taking poetry and prose and dramatic monologues and even scenes and um, performing them in a stylized, competitive way. So for me, all of my theater roots are rooted in competition. So so that that's a big part of, of, of what I do, I think, is that sort of idea that, oh, wow, we have to be able to hold the audience focus for 10 minutes. You know, when I was performing... Um, in speech and debate, it's like, wow, you have to be able to hold a room for 10 minutes and you have sure. to be able to play multiple characters or delineate focus or storytell some sort of vision by yourself without a scene partner sometimes. Um, but also, the, I think it, 
had a big impact on just the way my brain works in terms of the type of projects that I do, do now, which is uh, in speech and debate, there are, are events called like Program of Oral Interpretation, POI. Uh, so the idea is that you have a theme, like uh, growing up in the South, growing up queer in the South, or uh, I did one on the connection between spirituality and sexuality. And so then for 10 minutes, it's like, okay, well, what are the materials I can gather to help Wait, tell Wait, in high story? school? I did that. That was in college. I was, that was in high school in Mississippi. Yeah, <laughs> yeah okay. high school, it got about as risque as... Um, you know, two men doing the miracle worker oh, <laughs> so, okay. or something like that. I well, never did that. That's just what came to mind. <laughs> but so the idea was, okay, so I want to, I've got this sort of story that I want to argue. Yeah. What are the pieces that I can put together? So it's, it's pulling everything from Eudora Welty, short stories to poetry, to uh, things from headline news, to essays, to, so, and just gathering it together in a very stylized manner to sort of, uh, basically use other people's words to tell a story that I want to tell. Oh, wow. And so I think that had a huge impact just on the way my brain works when it's like, oh, okay, like I want to do a queer midsummer, which is something we did last year, but I don't want it to be all Shakespeare. So what can we do? Well, let's pull some pop songs. Oh, let's pull a piece from another Shakespeare play, you know, and basically weave it together to create an experience that's unique, uh, that is somehow ours. Um, so yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of the big first part. <laughs> right. that, it, it, that's, that's sort of the creation of the hybrid technique that you use, yeah, right? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, like, uh, that's how I, I can't help it. I approach material. Like, as soon as I see a movie, I'm like, oh, well, you know, that movie wasn't great, but there's, like, a, a three-minute scene in there that would be beautiful next to some queer poetry, mm-hmm. you know, that, to, like, help further some sort of story along. It's just sort of finding the pieces that work of other things and putting them together to to do something new. I mean, I think that's what, why I was drawn to theater because it is the medium that most readily accepts all the other mediums, whether it's a, um, a projection or a painting or a piece of music, it, you know, like we underscore all our plays with music that we know, or we, uh, uh, use music, uh, that may be popular or, you know, somewhat obscure for a dance piece in theater. It's just, it's a very collaborative medium, which I think is what I, what I really love about it. Oh, wow. Yeah. Now, now, what came after high school? Uh, high school, I went to uh, the University of Mississippi, mm-hmm. and I thought I wanted to be a journalism major because so much of my performance was rooted in literature. So, you know, I, I knew that sort of just something in the humanities, like whether it be history, art history, literature, whatever. But I had a few friends who had done speech and debate in high school who uh, got involved with the theater program, and I very quickly just realized that's where home was going to be. So I was still able to do the honors college. I was still able to uh, minor in English, but the focus was going to be theater. Uh, so I was still able to do all my heady, fun, intellectual, I'm so smart stuff. But then I was able to like, you know, be a drag queen, <laughs> which, which can also be heady and smart and intellectual. Oh, often yeah, it is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, having seen a lot of your work, and also experiencing you now as a director on one of my projects, uh, I, I have to say that you do bring all of that. Good. Um, <laughs> we we uh, we just we had a production meeting. I think it was last week. I was back in New York, and I was on Skype. And I remember you uh, presenting your concept to us of this show, and, and it's 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 essentially taking this show that's a concept that that I created in my head and multiplying it by like a thousand plus 
And I was like, oh my God, I didn't even think of that. So, and, and I think that that's really what, what a director does. I think they, they take the writing and they take all of their skills and, and they, they really just elevate the material right. to a different level. So I, I can definitely vouch for that. So you, you, I remember also I was going to say, I, I went to school in junior high in Texas for one year mm-hmm. down in the south, down in that area. And uh, theater arts and speech are huge down yes. there. Yes, they, yes, I, re- yes. I was involved in, uh, in a couple of the, the speech competitions, and I remember they're, they're all over the place. Mm-hmm. And it's like poetry, prose. Mm-hmm. Well, this is, I'm probably what? I probably have 20 years on you. I'm sorry. But anyways, um, and I remember um, like extemporaneous speaking. Oh, yes. <laughs> and then there was there was a, a competition to where you would just like pick a topic at random and then you had to go check your files. That's like, that's that's extemp. That's extemporaneous. Yeah. Speaking. Yeah. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, that was that was crazy. But anyway, so I, I do remember that. And I remember how how important that was. Well, it's the low-budget version of theater in a way because it gives students an opportunity to perform and create, but you don't have to have a set. You don't have to have lights. You don't have to have performance rights even because you're only doing 10-minute cuttings of something. So someone Mm -hmm. can do... So a scene partner and I could get a taste of something like The Odd Couple or Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, but it's just a 10-minute cutting of it. So we still read it. We still do all the character work, but we don't have to have costumes or set. You know, it's just... It's a very... It's a great way for education to sort of connect to art in that way that might be a little more friendly to a public school in South Mississippi's budget. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. And it's funny because I do remember every single one of those um, competitions. You brought up the Miracle Worker. Yeah, always. There was always (laughs) two girls who were doing the Miracle. Now, it would have been really interesting if two men actually did the Miracle Worker, like you said. Um, what messages and themes do you strive to convey to audiences through the pieces that you write sure. or direct or act in? Yeah, I think um, I sort of accidentally fell into a resume that is primarily queer work, uh-huh. um, which is something as a, as, a, as a queer artist is important to me. I just didn't think it was going to be sort of mostly what I did. And part of that has to do with... Um, meeting David Zack and uh, working a lot with Pride Films and Plays, which is a company that I'm an artistic associate with, but also just a company that's given me the most opportunity as a director because, again, all of my education's in, in, in acting, and then all of a sudden to just want to switch to direct and have a company that would allow me to do that yeah. is, is a gift, such a gift, um, so, and eternally grateful for that. Um, Me too. (laughs) (laughs) Me too. Uh, But in general, I I do think there's something innate in myself that is just drawn to queer work. And not even necessarily um, gay work or work with homosexual themes or gay, lesbian, bi. just, Just queer. Just something. And I use that term in all of the ways possible. Just like something... Something different, something something unique in its own way. I um, <laughs> I had to do, uh, when I became a professional, I knew I needed a professional website. And the quote that I put at the bottom of it was uh, a Pablo Neruda quote uh, that I will now butcher. But basically something along the lines of that all roads lead to the same thing, which is to convey to others who we are. And so I think there's something very personal that I've been able to find 
with queer playwrights, queer performers, you know, people who sort of, whose minds sort of work in a similar way that that let's let's bend some stuff. Let's whether it's gender, whether whatever it is, let's bend it. Let's change it up a little. Um, and so I feel like that's a theme that has sort of popped up in a lot of the work that I've done. Um, that as well as um, sort of finding darkness in high style. I joke that I either do. Um, highly stylized work with darkness in it or really dark stuff with a wink. And that's what I think, that's what I think, and I feel like those are the two parts of my brain. It's like the part of my brain that loves working with companies like uh, Hell in a Handbag, which is a a company that does um, high style camp and parody and satire here in the city. And then there's the other part of me that really loves like um, playwrights like Philip Ridley or um, uh, um, Michelle Mark Bouchard, who wrote a play called Tom at the Farm and Lilies, which are also queer works, but they're incredibly dark and physical and visceral. Mm-hmm. So there's sort of like the blood and gut side, and then there's like the, the fun, like Charles Ludlum, Charles Bush side. And that's right. and I think there's a little bit of um, both in each other, and I think they sort of inform each other really well. So I love like playing with the handbag kids and doing something. We did like a, um, Dan Savage had written the show called Miracle, which is a drag version of The Miracle Worker, where Helen Keller is a drag queen named Helen Stellar. Oh my um, God. It, it is hilarious. Oh. But so what, what I thought was so successful about that is it's high camp, it's stylized, it's full drag numbers, but it also has like such a darkness under it, you know, and it, that makes it so rich. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, the other side is something like uh, Angry Fags, which was a show I directed for Pride Films and Plays, which is an incredibly dark show, but also has such a black sense of humor. Which oh, I, I loved it. Yeah. I thought it was great. I saw it. Yeah, I thought it was terrific. So yeah, I think that's that, that's so. Uh, in a really roundabout, rambly way to get back to your question, like I think you know the themes that I, I, I tend to sort of get across are, are certainly um, queer themes, but also sort of looking for little bits of levity in the darkest scripts and doing the exact opposite and finding like moments of heart-stopping darkness in the most highly stylized, hilarious shows. Oh well, it reminds me of sort of like a there's there's a writer's philosophy that's out there that's if you're writing a drama mm-hmm. there needs to be a lot of comedy in it yes. and if you're <laughs> writing a comedy there needs to be a lot of drama in it it's it's always best to um to have both yeah i think well because it's levity the, well and that's how you surprise the audience i right. love what's the steel magnolias quote like laughed laughter through tears is my favorite emotion sure <laughs> or, you know where where because if not i mean you know, a, a two-hour show that is completely void of laughter is mm-hmm. not necessarily a show that I want to see. Right. Even if it's so dark, even if it's brutal, there's got to be something. Just whether it's in the show itself or in the music choice. Again, I think that's where collaborators come in, you know, where you approach your design team and say, okay, like, there is not a single laugh in, in the scene. What if there's, you know, what if a cow moves in between two of them? Just something stupid, like just like anything, <laughs> like 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 to sort of look to everyone in the team, like how can we find a laugh here? Maybe she drops her purse and just looks at. It. I don't know. It could be anything. <laughs> well, that's. I think that provides levity. Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost like like you said, like going to a funeral and cracking a joke. Got it. You need that release, right? And the audience needs that too. Otherwise, it's just like oh, it's it's just. Like, what was the, the show that I saw? I think it was, 
War Horse. Uh-huh. I don't know if you saw that saw on War, stage. Yeah. Okay. Well, I, I, mean, I really liked it, but I swear to God, I felt like I was being grabbed by the shoulders and being slammed against the wall. <laughs> and then five minutes later, slammed against the wall. So it, it did have its moments of comedy, but that's kind of how I felt, felt about it. Now, now, do you do a lot of writing? I do. Okay. I think I do more brainstorming than oh, okay. writing. I've only, uh, well, in Chicago, so what's that? Uh, I came to Chicago in 2008, so almost 10 years at this point. I think I've written, I've only really written one full production, a couple of one acts, a few 10-minute plays, and other than that, it's been a little more sort of collaborative. Like, Mm -hmm. hey, I've got this idea for XYZ, who in this circle can help me run with it and build something. You know. Oh yeah. Yeah. So so I feel like I'm good at, I'm great at I'm great at the two a.m. glass of wine. Wouldn't it be funny if <laughs> blank sort of conversations? <laughs> so I've got a lot of those. I keep a lot of Google Docs. That so like I've got like a a, a a folder just of Google Docs that are you know it's like idea for blank and then just like articles that I see so that when the time comes I'm ready with my like okay here's our these are our resources team like spotlight these are our resources let's run and go (laughs) this year we're doing blank (laughs) oh yeah well because I think that you are so so good with narrative thank you I really really do I don't know if you recall but uh, you had directed a show called songs for an unmade bed I did and I saw you at one of the shows and um, I asked you, it's, it's, it's basically one song after another, mm-hmm. and I believe they were all written by different people. Correct. Okay. And it, it sort of tracks this couple's uh, arc of their relationship, mm-hmm. and I, I said, who, who did this? Who created the sort of the, the narrative tissue of going on there? And, and you said, well, I did. And I said, that is, that's writing. That yeah. is totally right. You remember when he said that? I, I was like, <laughs> I was so impressed with that um, that I thought, wow, what a what an excellent strength to have in theater. Just overall, right. you know, so many people don't don't really realize, in my opinion, that you really do need, need that narrative arc. Well, that was the first show I really got to direct. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's that's the show that like is like thank you Pride for allowing me to do that because the show had been selected. I wasn't originally directing it. It was just some material that we knew the company was interested in doing right. um, and that we wanted to continue to develop it in some way because it is a, it's a one-man song cycle. Like, it's written for one person. And so we knew... Really? Yeah. We, oh, wow. And, and it, we knew that we had people in the ensemble who were interested in it, that we maybe weren't interested in a one-person version of it. So, yeah, we created... Robert Alice and I, he was basically like, okay, these are the songs that would be great for each performer's voices. And it was like, all right, I smell a story. And we did it. And created it all through movement, added no dialogue, and I think told a very successful story about a relationship. Oh, I concur. I, I really do. I was, I was so impressed with that. <coughs> that's a, that was, uh, uh, again, that's writing. Yeah. In my opinion. Writing isn't always just, you know, writing a scene filled with dialogue. It's, it's putting mm-hmm. moments together that are effective on stage. Well, and to, to speak a bit about sort of the 
the toolkit that I really appreciate being able to bring is at one point we had three actors cast in that show. Oh, and it wow. was going to be, yeah, and as some people know that, not everyone. Uh, but we had three actors cast, and the idea was more of a circle of friends sort of thing. And we had an actor um, who had to drop out uh, for a, a very a very good actor reason. He got a wonderful booking with a equity show that was going to pay the bills which is what we're all trying to do yeah um but instead of replace him it, it was sort of you know taking those improv skills and seeing an opportunity like now maybe it's stronger as a as a relationship a romantic twosome and and i'm um you know it was a a, a blessing in disguise it, i mean it created the show that we ended up producing which was that's that's a nice kind of happy accident yeah and i, I often think creativity is is like infused with so many of those Mm -hmm. examples of, oh my God, it's a crisis. And then all of a sudden you make something great out of the crisis. Cause I'm sure you guys were like, oh man, what are we going to do? What are we going to (laughs) do? And then, and then you took it and you know, you walk away from it for a couple of, not a couple of days, but you, you, you forget about it for a day or two. Mm -hmm. And then the answer sifts down. So it's happened to be myself. Absolutely. (laughs) Um, What do you think is an important direction theater overall is taking right now? I think that theater is becoming much more inclusive, uh, which is exciting. Uh, I can't speak to the theater world at large, but if Chicago is any indication, I think um, there is a huge push, uh, a much needed push, uh, for there to be more diverse stories being told uh-huh. and and not just in terms of um, gender or race but also just in terms of um, ability and just and just background it, it's exciting to see um, companies like the gift theater you know casting actors and lead roles who are um, in wheelchairs um, you know or to see roles that are traditionally cast as older white men be played by younger women of color you know it's just mm-hmm. it, it's just exciting to see people take texts that are either well known and making them new just by opening up the voices that are in the room or seeing new work being created and developed in that same way just like the more voices in the room the more diverse the more inclusive the room can be the more the product can then be that as well Hmm. And then, yeah, and so hopefully sort of there's a sense that we're the community that can lead in that type of storytelling by showing audiences um, a reflection of themselves, you know, by by showing, you know, Chicago is by no means an all-white, cisgendered male city, so why should we be putting that on stage? You know, let's reflect something more diverse back to them. Also something just more truthful. I mean, there are, you know, there are many more stories in the world to be told. Absolutely. Um, so that, that I think, is, is the biggest thing that's happening right now, and it, it's having such an effect on the kind of playwrights that are getting picked up, the kind of scripts that are getting picked up, the kind of actors that are now getting work, the kind of directors that are being brought in. It just feels like it, it's having such an effect on every part of the process, so it's very, very exciting. Now, are there any <clears throat> examples of your recent work that where, where you have sort of, I, I want to say, gone against the grain in casting and, and, and sort of cast against the grain in... in uh, or is that something that you're seeing that you're you're liking and you'd love to do oh, in the future? Yeah. <clears throat> Both. Uh, uh, I would love to do better. Trying, always trying to do better. Sure. Um, I think probably the best example. Uh, last summer we put up a show called uh, Bite, 
a pucking queer cabaret, which was sort of our um, big fun queer jukebox version of Midsummer. And I was really, really proud of that ensemble because we cast um, uh, a, a big, beautiful African-American drag queen as our Titania, queen of the fairies. She was wow. our drag queen of the fairies. Cool. <laughs> and then, yeah. you know, and then um, a, 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 a little fun genderqueer twink as our, as our puck. <laughs> um, but, but just the ensemble itself, because it was made of fairies and lovers, it was like, okay, who do we have in the room and who, how can we get their voice into the piece? So even everything from the songs we selected to the movement we created to um, the monologues for the lovers that we created, it had to do with uh, the people who were in the room. And, and the cast, I think, was uh, one of the most diverse that I've been able to work with in terms of of uh, race, gender, background, uh, just gender identity, um, in terms of um, the people that we were working with, but also just in terms of skills as well. It was fun. We had uh, contortionists and acrobatics and musicians and really phenomenal singers and a burlesque performer and drag queens. Like cool. so, so it was like so. What is this? Because Midsummer is such a a rich text in terms of like what are these woods like and for us the woods was a, a queer bar in Andersonville that you know had a little fairy magic in it <laughs> you know, so, so it was it was fun to do that it felt really true to the um, the people who were in the room wow yeah. well and I, I didn't see it but I understand it did very very well yes yeah, that's. I think so. <laughs> that's that's terrific. It must have been great to sort of like for you having that vision of where you want to go with your future projects to sort of cast off the chains and be able to do whatever you yeah. want. Yeah, well, and it, it was such a uh, like a fun way to spend a summer in Chicago. Just yeah. like to walk up the stairs to Mary's Attic, which is where we performed, and it just be so inviting. It was such a supportive group, and it was a story about self acceptance and love and loving each other but also loving yourself you know lots of oh, felt good liberating yeah very very liberating very very cool um, and and that kind of thing filters down you know as as the director you're 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 the boss um, it's your responsibility not just to manage the elements of the show but also to to have the vision and have the energy that kind of thing filters down through the creative team through the uh, technicians and and the actors I mean and, and it's just, it creates for an overall, I think, nice environment. Yes. Uh, when you're rehearsing, and I mean, it, I, I, I think that's amazing. Now, are there any particular shows out here in Chicago that you're not affiliated with that you feel that you like to mention that exemplify uh, that vision that you have of um, sort of going against the grain and at, at the same time, you know, making hybrids of all these. Stuff. I mean, is there anything out there that you'd like to talk about? Sure. Um, I think right now or uh, coming up, I can't remember when they open, but by the time, by the time we air, <laughs> you can certainly find some info about it. Online. Right. Sure. Um, uh, the inconvenience is a company here in Chicago, uh, that sort of, uh, hit it big for lack of a that was such a silly phrase. Hit it big. <laughs> um, they were the uh, first company to produce Ike Holter's play Hit the Wall. Uh, oh, yeah. The, uh, Stonewall Riots. Uh, sure. They did it in the Steppenwolf Garage and then remounted it for um, Theater on the Lake, which is a fun summer program that we have that remounts shows throughout the season in the summer, like sort of a second glance. Hey, if you miss these for the first time, and then, you know, and that show is now playing all over. Oh, yeah. Um, Very successful. But they do a show now called um, uh, The Fly Honey Show, which is 
everything one would want it to be and more. <laughs> it's just a, it's a fun mix of spoken word and dance and movement and it's 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 gender identities of all types and body types of all types, all shapes, sizes, age, colors, creeds, like you name it. It is like when we say that America's a melting pot, to me the Fly Honeys is a melting pot of of just talent and diversity and just Oh, it's just such a glorious evening of theater. Uh, and it's a big, you know, and they pack the room as tight as they can, and the performers are all over the room, and it's sweaty, and it's hot, and everyone's drinking PBR, and, and it's 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 not a ton of set. It's a lot of dramatic lighting, but it's just all about the experience of being in that room. And it's just amazing. Is it the same show every time, or is it, it sounds like it's... Uh, they do it. They do a new one every summer. So, oh, okay. so it's, it's, it's new choreographers, new artists, and they sort of... What I love is that they really do build it from the performers that they have. Like, they start early in the year and do, like, workshops. So it's like, who are the dancers this summer? So therefore, what sort of dancing are we doing? Because these are the bodies we're working oh, with. Oh, wow. You know, so it really is an ensemble-driven piece that is just all about... It just feels right at the pulse of everything good theater is aiming to be. And wow, I think cool. and it, well and it knows exactly what it is. It's a show that knows exactly what it is and succeeds fully and wholly at being that. Is it a review? Is it uh what how would you describe it if you had to yeah, I'm, I'm having a hard time grasping with yeah, it. Yeah, if, if, if I had to throw... I, I, yeah, a review. Or like uh-huh. an evening of burlesque. You know, it, oh, I just okay. think it, it, it's a little more... Um, Variety show esque in the sort of mm-hmm. uh, in the way that it's structured. So yeah, something between a variety show burlesque and a review, if that makes sense. Oh yeah, totally. So what they do is they examine their ensemble and the talent that they have, mm-hmm. and they create the show from that. Yeah. So so for instance, if I were a part of the show and didn't necessarily feel comfortable with the movement, I might do I might write like a three minute monologue. You know, but while I'm doing it, maybe people are moving behind me. Like they've sort of created something to accent my monologue, that wow. sort of thing. It's just, yeah, it, it, it um, yeah, it's very. Uh, <laughs> that sounds very cool. Yeah, I mean, all the marketing for it to, it, to give you a, a visual reminds me very much of all the marketing for Sense Eight. It's just like bodies. You know, you know, like you see the Sense Eight season two poster, and it's just like twelve bodies on top of each other. You know, and it's it, that's what it reminds me of the Netflix series Sense Eight. Oh yeah, I'm familiar yeah. with the series, but I haven't watched it. Yeah, well, d- I know everyone loves it. But just they're sort they're sort of marketing where it's just like it's it's loud, proud, a little queer, and just super super inclusive. Just to come back to that word, it, it's just yeah. You, you get to see people perform who may not be able to perform on other stages in Chicago, and I love it for that. Wow. That's amazing. I'll have to go see it. Yeah, it's the Fly Honey Show, and it sells out so fast. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, all right. But, it, but it, it, it'll play throughout the summer here. I'm not sure of the exact dates, but uh, even if you just hop online and watch some clips of theirs, be inspired. Let it inspire you. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you think is the best part of being involved with smaller, more intimate theatrical productions? So many things. Uh, we have to be more creative, I think, usually due to budget constraints. But I, I, I think when there's not 
when we're not able to just throw money on something to solve it, we have to get a little more creative. Uh, I mean, that, you're talking about the, the concept we discussed for our show, We the People. I mean, part of that just came out of necessity. It's like, this is the space we're in. These are the technical capabilities. This is the shell or framework to throw on the show to make it work. Mm-hmm. Like the, you know, and I, I, I think it, I mean, it's great that I, I think it's going to work well for the show, but part of it, as far as, you know, when the, uh, when the, the brain nerves started firing, had to do with just like, well, what do we have to work with? You know, mm. just sort of, you know, we don't have a million dollars. We don't have a 800-seat theater. Yet. Yet. <laughs> um, but I, I, I love the kind of shows we're able to do because of that. And also I, I like being able to create an experience that, exclu- that includes the audience. I feel like so many times... Um, you know, we, we just uh, did uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert at um, Pride Films and Plays. And Which I think, was fabulous. Thank you. I love that show. Oh, my God. So good. It was, it was, it was so much fun to work on. An- another show where just the room was incredible. Just oh, like, yeah. like, what a great way to spend a Chicago winter. Like, full, you know, surrounded by drag queens and disco music. Like, it was lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Driving through the desert in Australia <laughs> yeah, in the yes. summer. Yes. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but... What we were able to do, I, you know, I saw Priscilla when it was on Broadway, and and we were sitting in the balcony, and I just felt so far removed from the story. I actually just leaned back in my chair now, so I apologize if you couldn't hear me. That's okay. Um, I felt so far removed. It was very dramatic. <laughs> I leaned back. For a dramatic effect, yeah. <laughs> um, but what I thought we were able to do, one, because of budget necessities, but two, just because we're in a smaller room right next to the audience, is I thought we were just able to sort of immerse them in that world. One of the uh, one of the reviews said that I loved, and I hadn't even thought about this, is they were like, it felt sort of like you were at a drag show that just happened to be a musical. Because when you think of going to a drag show, you know, you think of a, you know, a bar where you walk down the stairs and, you know, there's stains on the curtains and, oh, and yeah. you know, and you can see, see the queens getting ready. You know, like, because we are in such close proximity, like, why not just take advantage of that? Show the costume changes, show the makeup, show the sweat, you know, Mm -hmm. and it was so much fun to be able to make a big show like that such an intimate experience. And I feel like that's sort of a a quote that gets thrown around a lot, the the idea of uh, doing something Chicago style, or like, you know, shows happened in New York and they're they're big or, you know, L.A. or wherever. It's like, oh, I can't wait to see what Chicago does with that. I feel like it's something that gets said a lot, which generally means a little scrappier, a little more in your face, a little closer to the audience, maybe removing the footlights so we remove that barrier altogether, you know. Now, see, that's, that's how a creative director thinks because, like, I would never think of taking the footlights out of, Get off rid of, of the them. stage. I know. <laughs> Make <laughs> them go away. <laughs> well, it's my, I guess it's my job to put it on the paper or the director's job to, to lift it off and, and make it happen. Um, it, you know, it's funny because you're saying that oftentimes, like, size of, of venue and money are such big um, determiners in what you're able to do with the show. Uh, I often bring this up. Uh, Melissa Young, who you may know. Yes. Yes. She was on the show one time, and she has this philosophy of everything's done for $5. <laughs> She'd be like, I, uh, she'll say, okay, that's a beautiful dress or a beautiful gown that you put on that actress. I know you did it for $5. How did you do that? Right. Which I thought was really, really funny. I mean, do you, uh, can you relate to that? Uh, sure. I'd be happy to 
have five dollars to throw into the show. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you know I, my mentality is always I, I I walk into every production assuming that we have no money, um, and so that everything has to be either borrowed, creatively done, or imagined. Um, you know, when I would do uh, when I would perform in Shakespeare uh, in the summer, sometimes some of my favorite stuff. I would refer to it as uh, white t-shirts and jeans. You know, let's just have an ensemble in white t-shirts, jeans, let the audience imagine everything else. Because once you get to... It feels like everything, in a way, is... Once we open a door, we can't close it. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we're doing Henry V, if we show blo- blood in one battle scene, we've got to show blood in every battle scene. Good point. Uh, if we've got one full costume, we've got to have every full costume. So, like, right. what, are, what are the rules of the world? And to me, the rules are what allow us to do the show the best that we can do it. You know, sure. so this production of the show, we can't have full costumes. That's fine. In this world, there are no full costumes. Mm-hmm. In this world, everybody's wearing sort of a neutral base. You know, this is maybe this is a show... Um, that has no props. Maybe this is a show, and part of that um, has. What's been great about that is I've as I've directed more and found shows with varying levels of budgets. It's like what a happy surprise to have a props budget, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh wait, we can have props. Like that's amazing. Uh, you don't have to raid your apartment yeah, for props, well, right? <laughs> and, and some of that comes from something. Uh, uh, I had a really great improv teacher, uh, Jet Eveleth, who I believe is in, in L.A. now. And one of the things that she said, we had just done a really like stellar improv scene. She was like, "Think of what you guys are going to be able to do once you have text." You know, that text is even a luxury when you're an improviser. So if you can, like, make somebody cry when you're pulling it out of your ass. Right. <laughs> like, imagine what you can do, which is why I love actors who also have a little bit of improv experience. Sure. Or improvisers who have a little bit of acting experience. Like, the more, again, like, the more diverse one's brain can be, just in terms of, like, where you're pulling from, the more resources you have. So yeah, to me, $5 is a luxury. Like, yeah. <laughs> $5 might as well be a million yeah, dollars yeah. in your well, world, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, but, but she's, she's, she's totally right. Like, uh, it's, it's hard to turn off the, once you've been behind the curtain, it's hard to turn off that part of your brain when you're watching a show. So if you see a really good, if I see a really good, um, bit of like stage violence or, or a really good like you know trick for lack of a better word I'm there's no I can't turn off that part of my brain that's like how did they do that yeah. you, you know uh, it's hard to just totally let go and enjoy the the magic of it all sure <laughs> like that's not magic how'd you do that? right <laughs> <laughs> well I mean if if you have good text and there's creativity yeah. you can you can do the show in yeah. jeans and t-shirts that's that's often done and but it's it's important that it's it's on the page right and you know and and it's nice it's i think in, in theater in, in, in okay in films you kind of like spoon feed right. everything but in theater i think it's important to require the audience to work a little bit yes um, because it engages them more. And, and once you start giving them everything, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, whatever, this is not challenge. You need to challenge the audience a bit. Well, and if you give them everything, it allows them to nitpick, for lack of a better word, which is a phrase I realize I use a lot, for lack of a better word. Um, but Your words are great. Thank you. It's a good word. It's a good word. Uh, that was a fine word. Uh, I th- always think of the the line from um, 
streetcar, which I love. If I ever tattooed a bit of uh, text on my arm, it would be a, a Blanche line where she says, um, I don't want realism, I want magic. And he says magic, and she goes, yes, yes, magic. Um, but that idea, I just... There's the Mississippi. Yeah, there, there, <laughs> ma- yes, yes, magic. Um, but because if we... We can't achieve realism, yeah. so why, why try? I mean, the closest I've come is... Um, Doing theater in someone's living room, which I love. I love site-specific work. You know, uh, I toured a monologue. I toured uh, Wallace Shawn's The Fever, uh, which sort of takes place at a dinner party, and he just starts rambling. So we would, um, I was available to be booked in people's living rooms, and I would just show up, and we would eat and drink for a little bit, and then I would just go into this 75-minute monologue. Oh, my God. Really? Uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, it was wow. It was great. Um, and I feel like that's happened. Uh, another thing that I see happening is non-traditional uh, theater spaces, whether that's site-specific work or found spaces that are being turned into theaters, which excites me a lot. But, you know, if, if we present an audience with what looks like it's trying to be a fully functional kitchen, then that sink better run, mm-hmm. the refrigerator better make a realistic sound when you open it. But if we can't do that, why, why even try? There's nothing worse than like a half-assed, fully realized unit set. Oh, yeah. You know, where, where it's like, oh, okay, like, don't, don't pretend, if there's going to be a frying pan and you're going to crack an egg, I better smell it in a second. Right, <laughs> yeah. Because if not, don't do it. Just don't, don't show it. <laughs> Oh, absolutely. No, I, I totally agree. And the audience, the audience will pick up on that. Right. I mean, the audience will pick up on um, something falling off of a table. Mm-hmm. Like, and that's the only thing they'll see. Yeah, it becomes, I mean, it becomes a show about a, a, a hat that fell off. Exactly. <laughs> it's a scene about a hat. <laughs> exactly. So a lot of that has to, you have to have, you have, to have attention to that kind of uh, detail and thing. And you're right, it's all or nothing. Yeah, but if you set them up for the rules that, okay, there are, and, and there are so many degrees. I think it's just, it's, it's letting the audience know what this world is and what the rules are. Mm. It's a world that has plates but doesn't have food. It's a world that has plates and does have food, food, so people will actually be eating. It's a world that has no props at all. Whatever rules we set up at the beginning of the show, we either keep so the audience feels safe and feels like they, and not physically safe. They right. just feel like uh, intellectually safe. Like, you know, like I, I have an understanding of what's going on here. I yeah. think there's an intellectual safety of just sort of knowing what's going on. So we either keep those rules or then we very intentionally choose moments to break them. Wow. And for a reason. Um, if it's muddy, it's just it's sloppy. Yeah. Sloppy, sloppy. So it doesn't have to be all or nothing. It just has to be very uh, specific. And intentional. And intentional and and probably relatively upfront in the show. I think so. Yeah. 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 Or or maybe the very, very first action with that element has to be decisively one of the rules, as you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that's that's very interesting. I, I didn't even think of that. All I know is that, you know, when... If a costume piece falls off, that's all I'm thinking about. <laughs> right. And Pick I'm it like, up. It fell off. Sweetie, your hat fell off. I, I know, know you're in a dramatic scene, but you're in a dramatic scene where your hat just fell off. What would you do? <laughs> that also, that comes, actors who can be improvisers. Oh, Some sure. of the best moments of live theater are when something messes up and the actor handles it brilliantly. Oh, totally. It reminds me of, um, uh, I don't know if, if you ever saw 9 to 5 the musical. I did not. Okay. Well... I saw it twice, and I saw it in L.A. when when uh, David, my husband, and I lived in L.A. And it has a um, an actress, uh, Megan Hilty. Yes. Yes, she's a, a wonderful ac- mm-hmm. actress. Actor, sorry, actor. Sorry, I have to be politically <laughs> correct. And um, she played Dora Lee, the Dolly, mm-hmm. Dolly Parton role. 
and there is a scene where she's in uh, Mr. Hart's office, and she's like telling Mr. Hart off, and no, no, she's not telling Mr. Hart off, but there was like he pushes some pencils, mm-hmm. and they're supposed to fall off the desk so that she could pick them up and he could look down her blouse. And Megan Healthy is a very voluptuous woman; she's she's gorgeous. And there was a pencil that got stuck mm-hmm. inside of one of the trap doors that opened. This woman was phenomenal. She went down there with another pencil and was literally, while doing the monologue, digging the pencil out so it wouldn't affect the trap door. And I thought, Perfect. I thought, and, and, and that is a good actor because she was fixing it while doing this important scene. While also having the foresight to realize if she didn't fix it, it could actually jeopardize the physical safety of someone else in the show. Exactly. I mean, like, like it. She couldn't just leave it there. It's like I love when something spills on stage and actors find reasons to wipe it up. Oh yeah. I mean, because if not, the person coming on stage has no idea that there's water on the floor and they're going to slip and fall. You know, it's taking care of each other. <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there are no wet floor signs yeah. <laughs> on a stage. No yellow, like you know, TP signs on a stage that that are intentional, at, at least, unless you're playing a janitor and you're mopping right. the floor. <laughs> um, what should every theatrical artist, a director, writer, actor, designer, be doing right now to be relevant and successful in the industry? They should be, we should all be, collaborating with people who are not like us. That's, that's what I think it is. If I'm in a room with a bunch of gay white men, I'm going to have a good time. Yeah. <laughs> but the work I'll be doing is much richer if there are women and artists of color and people I mean just as simple as um, you know <laughs> there's, a, there's, there's this joke that you know every Chicago theater is started by by a p- bunch of people who went to college together and just like uh, you know so if uh, you know uh, there are a bunch of people who went to Ole Miss up here you know and if all of us started a theater company that's you know we all grew up reading the same things, you know, listening to the same sort of stories. And that's good for a while, but at some point, we got to get a Yankee in there. Um. <laughs> you know, just to, just to vary things up a little. Um, Smart. Yeah, so I think whatever whatever the circle is that we're standing in, if it can, as diverse as it can be, it's just going to have such a great effect on the work. Mm. Um, and whether that's, you know, so, so I'm, you know, one... One artist. So if I'm writing it, you know, whatever the story is, you know, uh, can I bring in people just as resources, people who to tell me that the characters that I'm writing, who because they're unlike me, you know, just to uh, inform that, you know, yeah. just yeah. So it, w- even if it's not necessarily in a professional sense, it's just um, collaborating with as diverse a group as possible, and then just stepping back and taking that to sort of a. Um, a, a genre uh, medium thing, uh, seeing as much theater as possible, but also seeing as much non-theater as possible. Going to galleries, listening to music. It boggles my mind how many theater people just like don't listen to anything other than musical theater. Uh, same here. I, I well, <laughs> well, well, just something like that. You, you know that yeah. it's so easy to become so. Because theater is this great world that you can just lose yourself in, and it's very tempting to to listen to nothing but cast recordings and and um, you know multiple cast recordings of the same show just to dissect the minutia. <laughs> you know, sure. that, like that's yeah. fun, and there's a part of my brain that loves doing that, but there's also a part that just appreciates going out to dinner or taking a cooking class or going to an art gallery or seeing um, a performance art. Just, just yeah, just. 
because again, you know, one's brain is sort of a microcosm of the the big circle of theater artists we're working with. And if that circle, if the big circle needs to be diverse, so does the the inner circle. And I'm pointing to my head right now, referring to it as the inner circle. <laughs> you know, if there's nothing up here but theater references, eventually I'm going to get burned out. So, Oh, yeah. It's, it's kind of like what I was uh, discussing in, in my opening topic, where um, it, it, it's important that we don't get tunnel vision. Yes. It's important that we, that we do stay open to... To as much as we can. I mean, as as a writer, I I want I'm I want to be just as interested as you know, with the person who's sitting at the bus stop mm-hmm. who doesn't give two shits about going to see the theater, right. because that there's a story there. Um, I I, I want to make sure that I'm watching TV mm-hmm. and that I'm listening to the radio. I mean. You're right. We can become very insulated. Yeah. And that's a danger. Well, because then our work is just referential and derivative. It's we're doing different versions of stuff that people have already done versus like I some of the uh, my favorite things that I've choreographed came because I went to a Yeah concert or a an Amanda Palmer Dresden Dolls concert and she put on this very theatrical show and this song had a really good bass beat and I was like how can I turn that into a dance how can I turn that into a story you know mm-hmm. and it just came from going to a completely different area of the artistic world and being sure. like oh okay well how can how can I achieve that feeling that she had on my stage mm-hmm. you know and and you know, books are great too. I mean, we should all. Lord knows, we should all read more. Oh, definitely, <laughs> I agree. Yeah, um, but but part of it's that it's like I dog ear pages and books all the time, and I'm like, that's that should be turned into a monologue, some sometime. You know, like like the it, it was 800 pages of of ridiculous prose, but there's like two and a half pages in there that should be on stage at some point, and just you know, mark it, put it back on the shelf. I'll see it in a few years. <laughs> <laughs> and, and now, uh, do you think a lot of that comes from theater schools because it seems like they're all learning the same thing and they're all it's all all theater all the time Mm -hmm. I don't know if it has to be and then they need their life experience or what do you you find that when you're working with younger theater artists a bit yeah Uh, well uh, I would like to somehow turn that into a compliment which is to say that when uh, when I am casting for a show and we see 300 people audition, that I can tell, in the last few years, I would say the trend that I can see is I can tell that people, I can tell the people who have just come out of school, specifically maybe a Chicago program. Mm -hmm. And the reason is, is because they're polished and they're good. Uh The other, the flip side of that is they might be similar to the other 15 rising Seniors who we also saw. You know what I mean? So yeah. um, for me, uh, at least my own experience, um, undergrad for me uh, when I got my BFA was about learning how to be a theater artist. Grad school for me was learning how to be my own theater artist. If ah, that makes sense. Like, it does, like, yeah. like undergrad gave, like what I feel like, and it has to be, especially because classes are getting bigger and budgets are getting cut. To a certain extent, I think all an educator can do is try to throw something down the middle mm-hmm. that may hit as many of the 30 students in that classroom as they can. Got it. You know, like, it would be great. I'm sure every educator would love to be able to have more individual time with each of their students, but because they can't, it's like, okay, well, what's the most 
down the middle, mainstream-ish thing that could possibly have a positive effect on as many as possible. Um, and I think uh, what good students do is, you know, like I think I've got my toolkit. You know, I've, there, I've got things from Ole Miss. I've got things from when I was at Roosevelt, uh, which is why I moved to Chicago was for grad school. You know, in the, you know, 40-plus classes that I took over those seven years, there are things from, like, 15 of them that I feel like I use in every show that I that I do. And I think that's what it's about, is sort of finding... And I, I, I think maybe a rising senior or someone just out of school hasn't had time to figure out the kind of artist that they are. Uh, but that's maybe not in the best interest of... I mean, it is. Oh, could, wouldn't it be great to be able to do it, <laughs> to do it all? <laughs> Again, the compliment side of it is they are well-trained and they are ready and their headshot and their resume look great and they know what they're doing. Mm. They just kind of haven't quite figured out how to do it differently than everyone else. Oh, yet. Yeah, that's... And, you know, when you think about it, that's sort of... Uh, when when you've got your your undergrad and then your graduate work, that's mm-hmm. that kind of applies to a lot of other um, occupations. Sure, yeah, you yeah. know, like when you're going to become like a research scientist, your undergrad work is all probably all about chemistry and biology yeah. and that, and then you go to your to your grad school and you're looking at you know figuring out what it is you're going to apply right. to that as an individual and where your strengths lie. Right. So that's that's. That makes sense. Well, and that's what I love about Chicago theater is in a way, you know, if, you, if you're in Chicago and you get out of school, you're 22, 23, whatever, is what Chicago theater sort of allows you to do because there are so many, how many companies do we have? A couple hundred? I mean, I, I don't think I'm exaggerating. There are so many companies, but you're sort Probably of allowed. Probably not, no. <laughs> There's a lot. Um, you're sort of allowed to create your own MFA. You know, if an, if an MFA or sort of continued studies is sort of finding out who you are as an artist, you know, you take up with Chicago Shakes and get an internship there because you're all about text and language and mm-hmm. that sort of thing. You take up with a company like Red Tape Theater because you love experimental work. You take up with Pride Films and Plays because you're interested in queer theater. You know, th- there's an opportunity to find your tribe, your family, your slightly smaller circle of people who do the kind of work that you want to do. So I, I it's always, yeah, it's great to, to see them grow to two, three years later, like, holy shit, you know who you are now. Right. Yeah. And it's been great to even, you know, I, I'm, 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 uh, the tender age of 31, but to even in a couple of years have been able to see people, you know, that, uh, I, I won't use a name, but you know, someone who, uh, Interviewed, uh, interviewed, auditioned for us for songs from an unmade bed. Who was very much like, okay, just out of school, you got the, you sound great, you got the look, you know, but just don't really, still a little green for, for uh, to use a, a term, uh, but now is like totally embraced who they are. Yeah. I, I believe his uh, preferred pronouns now are they. Um, who they are as an artist, like got new headshots that are, are like I look at their headshots now and I'm like, oh, you are. Gender queer. I mean, I, I think this person would say gender is a construct in a performance, so fuck gender. <laughs> right. Uh, but but it's so exciting to, like, see them blossom as an artist so much in, what, the last three years? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, and I, and, um, I don't know that uh, in an educational setting there was the room to do that, you know, dear, because it's, it's classes and papers and do a scene this way and this right. technique and all that. But just to have the breathing room of a few years to be able to develop oneself as an artist like that, I think is what Chicago allows. Sure. And, and to be able to find 
the people who support that is amazing. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And and one of the reasons why I ask is because I I, I do a lot of reading mm-hmm. for competitions, particularly with Pride Films and Plays, since I'm run uh, in their writers' network. Um, and also, a lot of people ask me to read stuff. And one of the questions in rating or ranking a show when I'm when I'm scoring it is always, what makes this particular script or project stand out? And be different from all the rest. Sure. And so I'm. I, 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 I like understanding how that concept applies to actors. Yeah. As well, I think it's and mostly because I'm I'm, I'm I've been a little bit more involved in auditions lately, and and I'm seeing it myself. So. Yeah. But as as a director, you probably see it all the time. Yeah. Well, it, it's it's um. It's good to be able to recognize when someone is good but not necessarily right for a certain project. Mm -hmm. And what's great about Chicago is we see the same people over and over again. So I'm able to, you know, do be casting songs from an unmade bed and be like, you know, this isn't for you, but I'm going to have something for you in a year or two. Right. You know, because you're good at what you do. It's just not what's right for this project. Sure. Uh, But it's, it's being able to find people who are good at what they do versus just being good at what anyone could do. If Mm. that makes sense. Like anyone can sound good. Lots of sense. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there are so many singers, there are so many actors, there are so many dancers. It's, it's about, it's, it's the X factor as, as the kids say, they need that X factor. Well, it also, I mean, it's like, it's like in a chorus line. Yeah. You know, that's mm-hmm. the whole theme of the show. It's like, I, I, okay, you're all good dancers. You're all good singers. Tell me what's different about you. Mm-hmm. So it's, 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 it's great philosophy. I love it. Now, before we wrap up, when I ask you to tell me what you're working on, <gasps> which I already kind of know, <laughs> and give your social uh, media information, do you want to do a speed round with me? Sure. Okay. What does that, what does that mean? I'm going to ask you questions, okay. and then you just give me a quick answer. Okay? Uh, one word or... Ah. It could be a sentence. <laughs> okay. Or two. Um, what's your favorite play? Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf? Favorite musical? Once or Next to Normal. Oh, I love those both. Um, favorite writer? You don't have to say me. Ah. <laughs> uh, Tennessee Williams. Oh, my gosh. The, there's the Mississippi again. The, I have to. I could, what, what am I not going to say that? Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, director? Um... Uh, his name, I'm going to mispronounce, uh, Eva Von Hove. Uh, he just directed the two Arthur Miller plays in New York, uh, View from a Bridge and uh, The Crucible. I just, I, lo- I love the style. I've never seen one of his shows, but I've seen production photos of his shows. And if those production photos can make me want to see those shows so badly, he's doing something right. Yeah, he is. I saw a View from the Bridge, and it, it was amazing. My husband loved it, too. Um, do you have a mentor? I have a few. Uh, in Chicago, uh, certainly uh, David Zach has given me so much opportunity. Uh, and I, I also lucked out as, um, at Roosevelt and Ole Miss to, to have instructors who I felt like got me to my next level at Ole Miss. That was uh, Dex Edwards, who was a playwright, director, set designer. One of those that sort of made me realize you don't have to just pick one lane in theater. Mm-hmm. If you've got an interest and can nurture it and can be good at it do do it all <laughs> uh, and then uh, which and, you do <laughs> oh good <laughs> uh, and then uh, at uh, Roosevelt um, uh, Sean Kelly was a director I worked with uh, twice and uh, he still heads the program there uh, it's the Theater Conservatory 
at Roosevelt University, the Chicago College of Performing Arts. It's such a mouthful. CCPA, Roosevelt University. Wow. <laughs> it's that, such a mouthful. That is a mouthful. <laughs> well, that's great. Well, why don't you tell us what you've been working on lately? Sure. Uh, we opened uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert, for Pride Films of Play... Pride Films and Plays, and that had a wonderful run this winter. That's right. Uh, and just uh, won a Jeff Award for Best Costume Design uh, for our, our lovely John Nasca. Love John Nasca. And then uh, currently running Three Days of Rain by Richard Greenberg with Boho Theater, um, which is the first uh, straight play not in development. There's a script at the beginning of rehearsals show that I've done in a while, and that was a treat. <laughs> <laughs> to, have, to have words uh, that weren't going to change at the beginning of the process was just wonderful uh, and my cast is amazing and uh, that runs until the end of June here in Chicago uh, and then we get started on um, We the People which is already in music rehearsals right. uh, I get started with our cast uh, next week uh, possibly last week depending on when this airs or a few weeks ago <laughs> oh it'll probably air tonight or tomorrow oh great uh, and then we um, and then I go straight after that into working on uh, the Chicago premiere of Shockheaded Peter uh, which is a show that has a huge cult following, and I'm very uh, excited to be doing all of the movement for that show. Excellent. So yeah, staying busy this summer, uh, but you, but you always of, are. But on shows that I love, it's fun to to be able to work with people I love and on projects that I, I'm really excited about. Aww. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> Aww. <laughs> fast. Oh my gosh. Uh, okay, so give give our audience give our audience all of your social media information, please. Uh, my name is Derek Van Barham. Uh, bit of trivia. Van is my middle name. I don't have a compound last name. Uh, so depending on who knows that, I end up either in the B's or the V's alphabetically. So when I pick up tickets, it's always a huge to-do because um, I'm usually in the wrong line because they're at opposite ends of the alphabet. <laughs> uh, that they are. <laughs> uh, but uh, I'm on uh, Instagram at DVBarham. That's D as in Derek, V as in Van, then Barham, B-A-R-H-A-M, DVBarham. I'm on the Instagrams. Uh, my website is DerekVanBarham.com. So yeah, that's me. That's me. I don't really do the Twitters. Uh, I'm on the Facebook, but you know, I'm there. I'm trying to. I'm trying to be twenty again. <laughs> you 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 have the most updated website Good. I have seen. Because I, I check everyone's, include my own included. So that, that's uh, that's wonderful. Okay. Derek, it has been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Thank you. You are so smart and so creative, and you have such wonderful ideas. So thank you for being with us on your program. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. Will you come back? I will. Call me. I'm I'm right across the street. I know. Exactly. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, at the end of each show, I like to give a shout-out to uh, current productions that I feel are worth a recommendation. And on tonight's show, I like to recommend a show uh, that's playing at 59E59 Theaters. That is a theater complex on that has an address of 59 East 59th Street in New York City. This is a show that's called Rotterdam, and it's written by John Britton, who, full disclosure, is a friend of mine. Uh, he's somebody that I had the uh, honor and privilege to meet uh, when we did At The Flash at the Dublin Gate Theater Festival a few years ago. And I would still recommend it even if he wasn't a, a, a friend. And it's directed by, I'm hope, hoping I'm going to get this right, he, although he did tell me how to say it, Donacad O'Brien. 
It's an Irish director. And it's part of the Brits Off-Broadway series that is being held at 59E59 Theatre. It's a wonderful play that examines a broad scale of LGBTQ themes. And I mean literally. It is all over uh, all of those uh, initials and acronyms. It's just, it's... It's, it's so good. It's about a couple going, going through multiple truths as they face them in their relationship and how that shifts not only their relationship, but relationships with other people in the play. And I know that seems like it's discombobulated the way I said it, but that's really about the only way I could describe it. It's, it's something that just unfolds beautifully and uh, I loved it. Uh, and I don't want to give too much away about it, but you should go see it. And it won the uh, 2017 Olivier Award, which is like the Tony Awards in London, for Outstanding Achievement in an Affiliate Theater. So please go see it. It's just an excellent show, and I think you'll love it. And again, it's playing at 59E59 in New York City, but closing this Saturday, June 11th. Got three more days, two or three more days, depending upon when I get to show up today. So go see it. Uh, you can visit uh, www.59e59.org for tickets and further show details. Well, folks, the proverbial 11 o'clock number has been sung and the bows have been taken, so it's time to lower the curtain. I'd like to thank my guest, the sensationally talented Derek Van Barham. Well, three different names. And if you'd like for me to give a shout-out to your show or uh, your group uh, or your organization, go to my Facebook page, and, and still do this anyways, at facebook.com, your program is your ticket. Give me a like, shoot me a message, I'll be happy to give you the mention. Also, you can follow me on Twitter at, at programticket, and visit my website at yourprogramisyourticket.com. Also, please visit flyingelephantproductions.com, that's all Flying Elephant Productions, like, like all the words are spelled, for tickets to the June 29th and 30th performances of We the People, a theatrical song cycle at Stage 773 in Chicago. Folks, take a little time to see a show this week, and don't forget to give a show some, some love that's smaller or more intimate. There's a lot of theater gems out there. Until our next show, good night, theater people, and curtain. Have you ever wondered how your favorite performer actually feels? Well, here's your chance. Welcome to The Quiet Part Out Loud with me, Bobby Steggert, Broadway actor and now a therapist to a whole host of Broadway creatives. Part interview, part therapy, this is not your typical podcast. We'll go right to the heart of things with some of your favorite artists, what they still struggle with, what lessons they've learned, what they haven't figured out yet. There's enormous power in saying the quiet part out loud. Are you listening? Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.